Got a moment? Fast-changing risks affect people, businesses and economies in today's turbulent world. Perils like cybersecurity, political violence or threats to financial institutions. Listen in as Mosaic Insurance Specialists quiz fellow experts on trending industry topics. Welcome to this Mosaic Moment. Ransomware, system breaches, catastrophic threats to critical infrastructure around the world, and nation-state warfare. We're talking about the fast-changing sphere of cybersecurity. Hi, I'm Yosha DeLong, Global Head of Cyber for Mosaic Insurance. Today, I'm speaking with friend and colleague, Vince Fonsi. Vince is the Vice President of Cyber Policy for the Cyber Intelligence and Supply Chain Security Division of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for joining me. Vince, I had the honor of being invited by the Chamber to a debriefing in Washington, D.C. back in 2018 on the cybersecurity threat to critical infrastructure. A lot has changed in the last four years since then. We've seen an increase in ransomware and actual attacks on critical infrastructure like last May's Colonial Pipeline breach. How has the Chamber increased its work in Washington on behalf of your clients? And where do you feel that we, the insurance industry, could do more for them? Absolutely. And Yosha, it's great to see you. And um, it was great to see you in, in D.C. Um, with uh, Yigal Luna, former um, head of INCD for the uh, Israeli National Cyber Directorate a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, so much has happened since since that um, national security briefing that we um, had you at um, three, four years ago now. Um, and, you know, the attacks on critical infrastructure are, are significant. Um, Colonial, Kaseya. Um, the half-name exploit of the Microsoft on-prem exchange, um, and certainly the Solar Winds exploit. This, notwithstanding, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, the events in, in Eastern Europe and the implications on on um, uh, for critical infrastructure and for cyber companies, um, the threat environment has expanded significantly. Um, threat actors have gotten um, uh, more sophisticated. Um, have leveraged um, vulnerabilities in third parties um, or weaknesses in passwords or, or even simple basics. Um, so, you know, what, what does this all mean? Um, I think this really underscores the importance of, of public-private partnerships on, um, on critical infrastructure, working with your insurers, um, working with third-party incident response firms, and bringing that information uh, to government to enhance real-time um, visibility um, across the, the ecosystem to use uh, some, some generalities. Yeah, I know for me that was really eye-opening to hear um, from your guys' perspective as advocates on behalf of your clients and what you were really trying to achieve for them, but also hear from your clients directly and the challenges that they were facing. So it made it very real for me as an insurance professional to understand their perspective and what they were actually going through, um, in addition to the insights that we actually got from the government, Homeland Security, and what they were actually seeing and combating every day. So, you know, it kind of pulled it all together. And I know that was very useful for me. I was able to take that back and try to create some better solutions for um, your customers and really realizing what their cyber insurance needs and concerns were. Uh, so that was great. And I, I'm so appreciative to have been involved in that. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a, a shift recently towards gathering of information and reporting. And the SEC recently report, proposed new rules governing disclosure related to cybersecurity risk. Uh, in addition, Biden recently signed a reporting bill into law. Um, you know, they're looking to include both the declaration of cybersecurity risk management plans and reports on actual incidents. 
do you feel like this will benefit your clients? Um, and also on the other end, do you have concerns about the related burden of disclosure on your clients? Yeah, it's a great observation. You know, over the past 12 months, um, we have spent at the chamber a considerable amount of time working with Congress, working with um, members of the administration on this cyber incident reporting bill. Um, so a couple of key things about it. One, um, this establishes for the first time a horizontal requirement for covered critical infrastructure to be determined in rulemaking uh, by CISA um, to report certain cybersecurity incidents, substantial cybersecurity incidents um, to the Department of Homeland Security um, within 72 hours that a covered entity reasonably believes that a covered incident has occurred. Um, that and uh, the protections that it affords um, companies is a really good starting block from which we can, um, and acting through um, the Department of Homeland Security, take steps to align additional recording requirements. We have a regulatory coherence issue that I think that the Cyber Incident Reporting Bill can help us um, uh, take steps to, to align some of the existing reporting requirements that are out there. Um, for example, um, entities that uh, fall under DOD's DFARS, um, regular uh, rulemaking and uh, require, cybersecurity requirements, have to report certain cyber incidents um, to DC3 um, and to other um, uh, into their ISAC uh, within 72 hours. That is substantially similar to the envisioned um, reporting requirement under the CIRA bill. Um, so what the bill does is it tasks the Department of Homeland Security acting through the new Cyber Incident Reporting Council to inventory and then to make recommendations on how to align those proposals. I think we would put we're still studying the SEC proposal, but they're, they're, it's not the only one that's promulgated this year. Um, the FTC has another one that's out as well. Um, there, you know, the purpose of these is really to enhance um, the government's visibility into certain cyber incidents. And then it's for what purpose that we see that we're really evaluating the, the necessity of these reporting requirements. For CISA, for broad critical infrastructure, that is to better understand the risk landscape for covered critical infrastructure and the business community. We understand that. Um, I think we um, are working with the agency and we'll work the agency on, on some of the key definitions. Um, but once we move away from that, we really have to take a critical eye on what, when, where, and how we uh, comply, comply with these reporting requirements and to what extent and to what opportunities are there for where there to be alignment um, into that CISA-led um, reporting. So that's a critical eye that we're working with members on. The SEC's deadline for comments, I think, is either May 6th or 10th. Um, CISA won't um, has at least uh, the first 24 months um, to promulgate its its first um, notice of proposals we're making, and then 15 months thereafter, must issue final rules. So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, we really do look forward to working with the agency and the commission as they craft these proposals. Um, and of course, with our members and your members too. So they're, they're very much affected by the, by these. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've heard from law enforcement, this could be very useful for them to help prevent future attacks. And I, I think a lot of times people think of reporting and they think of it's more of a look back perspective. But really, holistically, especially for people combating um, these bad actors, there is an opportunity to prevent further attacks and then also improve the security of our 
critical infrastructure and really look at where the vulnerabilities do exist and how we can help prevent those from becoming systemic and becoming a real problem um, later down the road. So I do think there's a nice balance there. And, you know, 24 months sounds like a long time, but I know with the work that you guys do and, and how much back and forth there is, it does, it goes very fast. It definitely does. Um, I do want to go back to, you know, one of your first comments and talk a little bit about the conflict in Ukraine. We're obviously very deeply concerned about the loss of human life and the displacement of so many people. Um, it's really turned into a full refugee crisis at this time. And there's there's so many things that we need to be concerned about and so many, so many things that are shocking to watch unfold. Um, but it's really also the first time we've seen the potential for a large scale cyber war. And Um, You know, I think that this is a reality that we're starting, we've talked about for years, but we're actually starting to see play out a little bit. From your perspective, um, is this going to change the way that you're looking at or looking to address cyber? Um, And do you think this would lead to future cyber warfare and acts of hostility? So it's a great question and one that we've been reflecting on considerably over the past couple of weeks. Um, One, you know, just starting with what's happening in Ukraine. Um, We're seeing significant um, information operations and influence operations. Um, We are seeing low-level disruption operations, um, whether that's website defacements um, uh, or website takedowns. And we're seeing destructive cyber attacks, but certainly not at the scale and the level that some had anticipated and some had predicted. And then lastly, I think the other significant point about the current conflict um, in Ukraine is how um, that has applied and how the attacks are really um, just striking the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Now, we've seen some non-state actors over the past couple of weeks um, get involved, um, whether that is Conti or Lockbit on the Russian-affiliated side, um, step in and say that they were going to um, hold at risk um, entities um, uh, affiliated with supporting you, the government of Ukraine. And we've seen anonymous and, um, the Ukrainian government call for an IT, um, army to go to war against Russian affiliated. Um, so there's definitely this escalation that we're looking about. So what does this all mean, um, for the chamber and our members, um, both kind of thinking through the medium term and long term, because I think in some ways, you know, CISA has urged companies to that, especially those in finance, uh, DOD, manufacturing, those involved in the war fighting effort, um, and certainly in oil, natural gas, to go shields up and to uh, to really be prepared for um, reprisal, cyber attacks from from Russian-aligned entities. But really forecasting kind of what looks what what the next um, um, cyber incident might might look like, or what the next cyber attack might look like. Um, and I think it underscores the importance of one, the public-private partnership model, um, and working with CISA, working with sector risk management agencies, working with law enforcement. Um, two, um, it really underscores the importance of of instituting both basics, cyber basics, and for those that are mature and regulated industries, um, compliance with an information security program. Um, we've talked in the past about the importance of the cyber the NIST cybersecurity framework um, that's going through an update, but that's sort of those sort of baseline um, cybersecurity requirements. Um, that's really critical um, for organizations um, to, 
to demonstrate some compliance with. And, you know, frankly, that's working with insurers uh, on, on a compliance regime that, that makes sense for an organization's risk appetite and risk posture. Um, and that's working increasingly with cyber incident response firms to have muscle and capability to detect and report and respond to um, cyber incidents. Yeah, I really, you know, the, the highlighted um, light on the things that we've talked about in the past and the importance of the NIST framework and the importance of the cybersecurity, um, especially, you know, the detect and prevent and, and recover aspect of that and how that's going to come into play in the next couple months, but years. But it's really a long-term look at what, what companies, uh, critical infrastructure and beyond should be doing anyway. And I think highlighting that while it's during a very devastating event, um, we're trying to find some silver lining in that. Absolutely. We've got a long way to go on enhancing national cybersecurity resilience, um, but I think uh, it is achievable, um, not only for the most mature organizations, but everyone could be doing more in this space. Um, and then that's everything from you know, the basics, um, deploying multi-factor authentication, deploying endpoint detection, um, and, and uh, any malware, any virus um, software. Um, those couple of things, and certainly use of encryption, those are some basics um, that, that can be done as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for your advocacy on on behalf of those those things that we're, we are trying to get done in the insurance industry as well, and just advocacy in, in protecting the critical infrastructure and your chamber clients. Um, lovely speaking with you today, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Absolutely. Great speaking with you, Yosha. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Feel free to download, follow and share on social and recommend us to colleagues and clients. See you here next time for another Mosaic Moment. Yeah.